Dear friends, we're going to look at Luke chapter 6 this morning and verses 21 and 25. This will be the second of the blessings that we see in this passage and the second of the woes. Luke 6, 21 and 25. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Last week, we asked the question, where is your wealth? And of this week, we asked the question of what do you hunger? What is it that you desire? What drives you to move forward in your life? What is it that you are striving after? Because Christ speaks of one who hungers at this time, who will be satisfied, who will be blessed. And he speaks of those that are full now. He says, they shall be hungry. Now, that is not their eternal state. We talked last week on the topic of wealth, and we tried to emphasize this idea of being rich and poor. So many times that passage is approached in a very secular perspective, in an almost Marxist perspective. Approaching a passage like that, merely saying that looking at a culture, whatever culture you're in, however that particular culture would define being wealthy, woe to you who are wealthy, and however that particular culture would define being poor, blessed are you who are impoverished. And we saw the ways in which that's inconsistent with what we see in the scriptures as a whole. There's many people in the scriptures that were overwhelmingly wealthy. We talked of Noah, we talked of Abraham, we talked of Joseph of Arimathea, and we don't see these men being condemned because of their wealth. But most especially here, I think we can realize that when Christ is saying, blessed are you who are hungry, He's not saying, blessed are you who don't have any food. Blessed are you who don't have the opportunity to eat. And if you have plenty of food, woe to you. Well, woe would it be to this entire country. One of the breadbaskets of the world sits in the central portion of this country. That's incredibly simplistic. And although you'll find people interpret the passage prior in that way, I don't find anyone attempt to interpret this passage in that way. And that even brings up another conundrum. If that is the case, having wealth, having possessions is a curse. Having food is a curse. If someone were ever in a position where they didn't have possessions, they were lacking, they were impoverished. If someone didn't have food and you went and you brought the person food, you went and brought the person possessions, you brought the person wealth, would that not be bringing a curse upon them? And we know very well that's not the teaching of scripture, that's not the teachings of Christianity, that's not how we are to understand how we interact with those that are in need. There are world religions that would see things that way, though Hinduism is one. Although you may see there have been changes in how the practi it's practiced in India, especially over the past decades, 
and over this past century. But there is a perspective in Hinduism that says people are in the position they are in in life at this particular time because that is the fate that is upon them because of what has happened to them in previous lives. And so what is best for them is that they just go through whatever they are in now. They may suffer in this life. They may have difficulty in this life. But this life will end and they will move on to another life. And, and they will be worked through by the gods in this life through the suffering that they have. And they will move on to a higher state in another life. And you are actually stifling that person's growth by, by helping them in their time of need. Very incredible perspective that allows you to be very comfortable when you have and someone else has not. When people have not because of nothing in particular they have done themselves. One interesting aspect of this religion that I find interesting is, is, is the belief in Hinduism that the, the highest being that you find on the earth right now is not a human, it's actually a cow. Cows are held highly sacred in Hinduism. And in fact, there's been issues in the past where someone has accidentally killed a cow or someone has killed a cow for the purpose of food and it's led to riots in some towns. It's led to people being put to death. There was an American journalist that was in India at one point and he was driving down the car and he accidentally hit a cow. And this was going to be an international incident if the town put him to death. So the leaders of the town got together and they talked and they came forward and they told the people, look, this cow was feeling very depressed and he just went and threw himself in front of the car. So they worked through that. They didn't have an international incident. But it's not so with Christianity. There aren't multiple lives. There aren't multiple times of existence. We have this life now and this is the life that we have to live. This is the life that the Lord has given to us. And the Lord is, is working within our lives. Even now, working in our lives in, in the times of difficulty. Working in our lives in the times of pain. Working in our lives in times of, of blessing. The question I have for you is, of what do you hunger? What, what is it that you desire what is it deep within you that you're striving after? Is it that which is of this world? Is it that which is really temporal? Are you desiring that which is eternal? Are you desiring that which comes from the Lord alone? Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. That is a promise. The Lord Jesus is, is making a promise there. Those that are hungering now will be satisfied. But woe to you who are full. Those who are full, those who are good, I'm content. It's one of the most common phrases that's stated when I'm standing on a corner downtown and handing a tract to someone. So you can just share the gospel with them. Try to give someone a tract. I'm good. It's just almost a knee-jerk statement to say. And I know 
people that say that don't think much about it. It's just something that you say, like, okay, I, no, it's a way of us just saying, well, no, thank you. I, I don't need that right now. But it's so telling about the reality of man's spiritual state, a man who absolutely is not good, man who absolutely is not righteous, man who is not doing well. Can you imagine a man who is emaciated, who is starving, who is not receiving proper nutrition? There are people that suffer in these ways. Their bodies are not rightly understanding their need for nutrition. They're emaciated, they're starving, they're lacking in nutrients. You can look at them and you can see this. And they have no desire for food. No, no desire to eat, no, no desire to feed. And so it is with natural man. To have the bounty of the gospel for him, the, the bounty of the, the glories of Christ that are there. This world is but crumbs that will not last, but a vapor, but a vapor is the wording that the psalmist uses to describe this life. Life is but a vapor. It is like trying to grasp dust, the writer of Ecclesiastes states, to strive to hold that, like grabbing sand at the beach. And the harder you squeeze upon it, the faster it is leaving your hand. And that man who is emaciated and starving spiritually says, I'm good. I have all that I need. I don't need anything else. Leon Morris, the great commentator, I really appreciate Leon Morris in, in so many ways over the years. He makes this comment on the passage. He says, you that are full means much as the same as you that are rich. But there is more of an emphasis on the state of the person concerned. They're not only rich, but they have all that they want and feel that they lack nothing. People who are living that way feel they are all sufficient. They only allow material possessions of this world to be a be-all and end-all. They feel they have no need for God. But they shall hunger. In the kingdom of God, it is these people who are paupers. It is these people who have nothing. There is a reason why hunger is being emphasized here. Thirst is emphasized at other places. Even autocratic, totalitarian leaders recognize the power of food upon a people Vladimir Lenin says this, every society is three meals away from chaos. 19th century journalist Alfred Henry Lewis says it this way, though. He says there's only nine meals away from mankind and anarchy. A people that doesn't have the very basics in that culture is going to fall into chaos the things that mattered previously are no longer going to matter anymore. That hunger is going to burn within the people. Everything about them is going to focus. Can you imagine being someone who was stuck in the desert, stuck on an island, 
and he had piles of gold bars. All of the gold in the world was right there next to you, but you had not food and water. What good would the gold do you? You would give all of that gold, but for a drink of water. The worldly person gives the idea of contentment when all is going well. I saw that last Friday, talking, talking with a gentleman. Had a good conversation, had a good, solid 15-minute conversation with this man. And he talked of the fact that, look, everything is good, all is going well, I'm a moral person. And I remembered, I remembered what happened in this city during Hurricane Rita. That happened just maybe a month after Hurricane Katrina. And, and people had seen what had happened in New Orleans where there was great flooding, great flooding that wasn't going to happen in the city of Houston like it happened in New Orleans because New Orleans is basically a giant soup bowl that is, that is under sea level. The levees broke and water just filled major parts of the city. And this was fed through the news feed. And when this was shown in the city of Houston, there was great fright. People were terrified. And people all began to get onto the freeways at once. And they ran out of gas. There wasn't enough room on the freeways for them. Driving to Dallas, going up I-45, there were miles of people. Going into I-10 East, miles of people. And I saw a culture that just a week earlier was respectful to other people, was considerate of other people. You could go into the store, someone would let you in front of them, you could be driving through a parking lot. Sure, there's people that would be rude and cut you off. But overwhelmingly, there was fear in people's eyes. There was terror in their minds. They were reflecting on what they saw that had happened in New Orleans, and they were fearful it would happen to them, and they no longer respected other people. I saw a riot almost break out at a gas station at one point over absolutely nothing, something that never would have been an issue just a week earlier. But that foundation that was there in the culture, the comfort that was there, the ease that was there, the trust that you would be safe, it was removed. And what's really in your heart is going to be demonstrated in those times. Isn't that the case? Where, where, where even you see this reality in your life where something stressful happens, something difficult happens. And we respond in a way that is ungodly. Respond in a way that, that is sinful. And you tell yourself, well, I, I only did that because of this over here. No. You did that because that's what was in your heart. The situation revealed what was already there. The circumstance really shined a light as to what was already there. Imagine I'm walking across, and I'm walking, and I have a cup of coffee in my hand, and I trip over a chair, and the coffee goes flying out of my cup. The chair and me tripping just revealed the coffee. It didn't cause it to be there. Scriptures teach us of a joy that is in the Lord that is beyond any circumstance, a joy that transcends 
our current situation. We saw that just, just even recently as we were thinking through the calling of the apostles and we talked through what had happened to most of the apostles. That they freely gave up the comforts of this life because of their faith in Christ Jesus, because of their desire to proclaim the gospel. They joyfully, they joyfully gave up the comforts of this life for that purpose. We see even Peter, we talked of this just many passages ago, this bold Peter, the one who was so bold, full of zeal, and then you see him denying Jesus three times, fearful even of a servant girl, denying Jesus outside of the court. But you see Peter, praise be to God, inside of that court, in the second chapter of Acts, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, proclaiming the wealth that is in Christ Jesus, the bounty that is there in Christ Jesus. They found, these men, they found the treasures of Christ to be of greater value than the comforts and the blessings of this life. They hungered after the Lord. They, they hungered after righteousness. They hungered after eternity. They saw things rightly. They saw things as they actually are. Their desire was for the Lord and the things of the Lord desiring that which has eternal significance. Eternal standing, eternal grounding. What do you treasure? That was our question last week. Where is your wealth? The question this week is what are you hungry for? What do you hunger? What is it that, that you desire? What is it that, that you are striving after? Are you one that when the things of life begin to fall apart, the comforts in life begin to fall apart? That you're one without hope? Dear friends, you, you have in Christ the solid rock of Christ Jesus that you could lose all that there is you could lose your wealth, your family, your standing, all comforts. And you're wealthy far beyond measure, wealthy far beyond the most wealthy people in this world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to be true? Do you not merely confess that? Do you not merely sing that or read that in the scriptures? Do you actually believe that? Is, it, is that a reality to you? Or if the things in this world that you're trusting in begin to shake, do you lose hope? Does it just become a, a pity party for you to say, why me, why me? There is in Christ Jesus a bounty of blessing, a sure foundation that those who hunger after Christ, those who hunger that, after that which is eternal, will be satisfied. 
This world cannot be for you a Messiah. The comforts of this world cannot be for you what Christ can only be. Only Christ can be the Messiah. Only Jesus can be the Christ. And his blessing is in that which is eternal. Geldenhus, another commentator I absolutely love, never heard of him until we began the study on Luke. He says this, those who are spiritually hungry, those who realize their own unworthiness and need and and yearn for the fullness of life which he brings will receive the blessing, the congratulation of the Lord. And those who mourn deeply in sorrow over the sins of their own hearts and the dishonoring of the Lord by the world will receive real comfort and joy. Blessed are those who hunger after the Lord. Blessed are those who desire the Lord. Blessed are those whose appetite is never filled with the things of the Lord. Do you realize that, dear friend, in eternity, in eternity, you will be learning more and more about the Lord. You will be growing in a greater and a greater knowledge of who the Lord is growing in a greater knowledge of of the eternality of the Lord, the attributes of the Lord. And you will be growing in a greater knowledge of the redemption that the Lord has granted to you, the good things that the Lord has granted to you in Christ Jesus. There is mystery upon mystery in the work that the Lord has done through the good news of the gospel. Blessed are you if you desire that which is eternal. Blessed are you if you hunger after that which is eternal. But woe to you. That's the warning. Woe to you, those that are full here. Woe to you if you're merely hungering after the things of this world. Woe to you if that is your contentment. Woe to you if your badge of honor is your tax bracket where you stand in a particular network. Just like that, it can all fall. Just like that, it can all be removed. An earthquake, a hurricane, a fire, it can all be gone. But Christian, you could lose all of that And still have all that matters, which is in Christ Jesus. The blessings you have, the comforts you have, the riches that you have, the networks that you have, all of these things, these can be good things, these can be blessings from the Lord. Be grateful with these. Hold these with an open hand. Hold these with a willingness to release them and to let them go for the glory of God if the Lord should so call you to do that. Hold not onto the things of this world that you cannot take with you. It's almost cliche to see it, say it, but you do not see a U-Haul trailer on the back of a Hertz. You are not taking the things that are your possessions in this world with you When you die, 
see that within the pyramids, all of these possessions, there's questions as to what exactly is going on in the pyramids. Was it, were they believing they're taking these items with them? It looks like that. You see that in parts of China where you have entire armies that were made out of clay. Really fascinating to see these things. This is someone that believed that along the afterlife, this is going to be the army that I'll use, that'll fight for me. Well, that makes great fiction and fantasy. But that's all that it is. That's all that it is. It's not a reality. You make something out of clay, you don't take it with you. And all that we have, we can say, is but clay, even our own lives, even our own bodies. Soon enough, our lives will pass, and only what is done for Christ will last. Woe to you if your hunger is merely after the things of this world. If you have no desire for the things of the Lord, if you find the worship of God to be troublesome to you, the worship of God merely gets in your way, I have been so fascinated at the debate that has been going on recently that there are churches that are confessing the name of Jesus and they're making statements, they're making arguments, we're going to be closed on Christmas Day. I have never heard anything so absurd. The idea that people aren't going to gather to worship the Lord on the Lord's Day because that day happens to fall on December 25th. I dare say, what, what else better do you have to do on the Lord's Day than gather together to worship the Lord? I read a blog that was written about 10 years ago, and this man was making an argument. This is an incredible argument. I, I almost can't keep myself composed trying to share this argument with you. It's so incredible. This man said, you need to understand something. We believe in the Sabbath. And we believe there should be a time of rest. And that is why we are closing our doors on Christmas Day to gather on Sunday. You believe in the doctrine of the Sabbath. I can't help but think of Princess Bride there. You're using these words. I don't think they mean what you think they do. His argument was, well, look, there's so many things our people have to do on the Lord's Day. They're so busy. We have greeters in the parking lot. We have, you know, we have the people driving the golf carts to pick the people up from their cars. And, and we have the, the, the nursery workers and the youth workers and all these different people that are volunteering. We would just like to give them a break for a day. I shared this with Janice, and she said, well, why don't you just give them a break for a day? Let them sit in for worship. Let them gather together for the worship. I met someone one time. He had, he had served as a children's minister in a church for two years. Two years he had faithfully served this church as a children's minister, had done children's church each and every Lord's Day, had not been to church, gathered together with the saints, sat under the preached word of God, sung the word of God. Two years, two years. That was the ministry model. 
And I talked with him, and he said, this is, this is rough. I was like, yeah, it's very rough. This is not Christianity. This is not good for you. No. Hungering after the Lord. We must not close. It's not even, it wouldn't even be a debate here. It's almost comical. This idea of hungering after the Lord is a theme that you see throughout the scriptures. The words of Jesus here aren't the first time that we see this arise on the pages of scripture. We see this confessed through many psalms. We'll walk through a couple of them. Psalm 63 in verses 1 through 3. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips praise you. Oh, he says, as one who is parched, as one who, who needs water, I desire to go forward to you in your sanctuary. I desire to go forward to you in worship. He doesn't say, so long as I don't have something more important to do, so long as I don't have something more pressing at this time, hungering after that which is good, that which is godly. Comparing here his desire for the Lord to the desire for water when one is thirsty. Do you thirst after the Lord? Do you desire the good things of God? Is this something that encompasses your thoughts and your desires? Are your emotions tied into this? Imagine not having food, not having water. The way in which you would be driven to think about this, to focus upon this, how it would overwhelm your thoughts how you would desire nothing to get in your way. This is my priority. That is what the writer speaks of in reference to spiritual things, in reference to the goodness of God, the knowledge of God, walking in obedience to God. Do you thirst after the Lord? Do you, do you thirst after the good things of God? Maybe sometimes. Maybe in brief spurts here and there. Maybe when things get difficult and then you begin to pray more because things aren't going so well. Perhaps the Lord is using a difficulty in your life to bring to mind that which is most important. Are there not times in life when difficulty and tragedy happens and you are reminded you are reminded you have no other choice at those times but to reflect and remember that which is primary. So many times people have this reality of their lives. You know, I'm, I'm going to be more serious with the Lord. I'm going to be more serious with Christianity when life slows down. When things slow down just a little bit, then I'm going to be more serious in my religion. I'm going to make things more primary at that time. Just built on hopes and dreams 
It's missing. It's missing the reality of how the Lord works. That the Lord works in your life circumstances, works in those times of difficulty, works even in times of busyness, works even in times to, to yank some of these things that we're making priorities away so that that which is, should be primary it becomes primary. I had this debate just a few weeks ago with a, with a gentleman on the idea of, of perfectionism. He was putting forward this idea that, that Christians in their life could come to a state of perfection. He defined perfectionism differently than the scriptures would define perfectionism. And I pressed upon him in, in many different ways, but I pressed upon him in, in one area in particular. And that was how sanctification works, how, how the Lord uses the times in our lives, our imperfections in our lives, our own sins and difficulties, and working us through those for the purpose of sanctifying us, for the purpose of conforming us to the image of Christ Jesus. That we would thirst after the Lord even during the times of trial. That we would thirst after the Lord even in times of difficulty, in pain, in times of suffering. The writer in Psalm 42 says this, beginning in verse 1 through 2. It says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you desire that time when you will stand before the Lord? Do you desire the time when you will reside in glory? Gathering together to worship the Lord with the saints, unhindered by sin, unaffected by the distractions of this world? Do you desire for such a time? Do you long for such a time? Do you thirst after the Lord? Or do you merely desire whatever you want at this particular time to be met so that prayers are nothing more than a Christmas list week after week to the Lord? Can I have this? Can I have that? Can I not have this? Can I not have that? Will you take this away? move this person away? Will you change the situation? No reflection upon the glories of God, no reflection upon who we are in Christ Jesus and the great chasm that is there that is is a difference between where we were apart from Christ and where we are in Christ. Like the Israelites in the wilderness that desired water, a legitimate desire? Became angry with Moses? Sinfully despised Moses? Desired water from the Lord? Desired Moses to grant them water, but they desired not the Lord? What a contrast we see in Jesus. What, what a distinction we see in Jesus Jesus, in response to the temptation of Satan, is there fasting in the wilderness, 
He's there fasting to be obedient in the ways in which Adam was disobedient. Adam, remember, there in the garden, there in the lush garden, whatever he wanted to drink was there, whatever he wanted to eat was there, with the exception of the fruit from one tree that was all that was forbidden. The bounty of the world was his. You could say he was the wealthiest person at that time. Adam and Eve owned all that there was in the world. And it did not suffice. But when they began to take their eyes off of the Lord, when they began to lust after that which was forbidden, they take their eyes off the Lord. Even the blessings of the Lord aren't sufficient. They will desire something else. There's an unrighteous hunger that will, will grow within you. We could walk through Romans chapter 1 and see this reality. People that think, I can control my sin. I can play with the sin just a little bit here. I, I don't, I, I'll be okay. And all the lives that have been destroyed, the families that have been wrecked, the nations that have been damaged by those that think they can control their sin. It's insatiable. The more you partake, the more you hunger, the more you desire after that which is unrighteous. And you see that downward spiral there in Romans 1. Man who has made the image of God begins to act in ways that are not human. That are more like an animal. That are contrary to who he is as one made in the image of God. See, Jesus at that time, tempted by Satan there in the wilderness, and he quotes Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3, only the latter half, but I'll read the whole thing. It says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you manner, manna, which did, you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There was a lesson. There was a lesson there that the Israelites were to learn in their daily gathering of manna. The rest of the world is planting crops, harvesting crops, processing those crops, making food out of those crops. You're merely walking out and grabbing this food, preparing this food, eating this food. They became bored with the food. They began to complain. They began to sin against the Food is just appearing in front of them everywhere. They begin to complain. Well, why don't we don't have any meat? I'm used to having meat. The Lord was providing for them. The Lord was teaching them at that time that they are to live on the Lord alone, to live even on every word that comes from the Lord. Jesus is responding to Satan at that time in the wilderness, not just with scripture, not just to give a, okay, here's my quick answer back, here's my quick scripture back, but he's tying this into redemptive history. That the trust there is not in the comforts of life, but in the Lord who provides. And the Lord's doing that at this time. The Lord is in the wilderness at this time, 
The Lord is being obedient in great discomfort in the wilderness because Adam was disobedient in the comforts of Eden. So the Lord is being obedient there in the wilderness. And the same is true there with Israel. That walked about in the wilderness, was provided for by the Lord, began to sin against the Lord, most of which did not even enter the promised land. Eating manna and dying in the wilderness. And we see Jesus speak to a people in John chapter 6. A people that are, that, are, that are hungry for food, that are desiring food. Jesus has done a miracle. He's fed this great multitude. And they've not responded like Peter did when they had the great catch. When they caught the massive catch of fish and Peter saw his own sin, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. He saw the glory of God. He saw the greatness of God and he saw his own sin. Like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. He saw the glory of God, the holiness of God and saw his own sin. These men and women in John 6 they saw the miracle and they said, this is great. We should make this guy king. We are going to be so wealthy. This guy can just make bread. This guy can just pass out bread. He can just reproduce fish on the spot. We'll be the wealthiest nation in the world. Missing. Missing the idea that's communicated there, that that is something that comes from God. There is a great problem in the world. There is a great problem of sin. And that sin has made a separation between man and God. That sin must be dealt with. Jesus responds to the people in John 6, beginning in verse 47. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Talking about believing upon Christ. Trusting upon him. He says, as I am the bread of life, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that the one who may eat of it may not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for life of the world is my flesh. Jesus speaks of himself as the greater manna that is from heaven. Those who can feed upon him will never hunger. Christ is sufficient. Christ is all that is necessary. Christ is the Messiah, the one who has bridged the gap between man and God. Matthew 5 and verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied do you hunger for righteousness not do you just hunger for other people to be different it is so easy to get to go down that trail to be so focused on our culture and those around us it's got to start with you dear friend it's got to start with you dear Christian 
You desire to change the world. It needs to start in your own heart. You desire to make a difference. It needs to start within you. There's a blessing that is there in hunger. There's a blessing that is being given there. And the Lord putting you in a position where you recognize this world is insufficient. You can see your own sin and see your insufficiency. There is a good thing that is there. There is a natural desire to push back from that. Man's religion tries to give you lots of solutions that you can do to try to solve your problem in sin. None of them work. None of them are beneficial. There's lots of actions that they will give you. Lots of prayers you can do, places you can give money, actions you can do. They do nothing to deal with the problem. They do nothing to heal your relationship with God. They do nothing to change your heart problem. Friends, that that comes through Christ Jesus. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Do you see your need of him? Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Or do you say, I'm good. I'm okay. I I don't need anything else. I grew up in church. Grandfather was a pastor. I've done many good things in my life. I haven't killed anyone either. I always throw that one in there. Okay, I'm glad you haven't killed anyone. Thank you for letting me know that. You know the words of Jesus. You know what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. You know how the Lord looks at sin. The Lord is is looking even at the heart. Not even just your outward actions. We, We don't even begin to begin to meet the standard of righteousness that is there in Christ Jesus. That is granted by grace and through faith. Not through your own efforts. Not through your own work. And for those that are in Christ. For those who have trusted in him. We have this banquet, this bounty that is there, this goodness of what he gives. We have that reminder each and every Lord's Day as we participate in the Lord's Supper. This great wedding feast of the Lamb. Those who hunger now will be satisfied in Christ Jesus. The sin will be removed. You will be granted a new life. You'll be granted a new body. Reside with him for eternity. We see this idea of this banquet, this eschatological banquet, this, this, this great feast that will happen in eternity, future. Many places in the Old Testament. One example, Psalms 107 and verses 3 through 9. It says, And gathered from the lands from the east and the west, from north and from the south, Some wandered in desert ways, finding no way to a city to dwell in hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by the straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. That is a promise, dear friends. 
And then later on in the psalm, it says this, beginning in verse 36. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a, a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get the fruitful yield. It's the promised blessing that the Lord grants to all who come to him. That is the, the promised blessing in eternity. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That is the free offer that is there. Come to Jesus. Come to the Lord. There's bounty there. There's sufficient blessing in the Lord. And then he asks this question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why are you striving after that which is not beneficial to you? That which is even harmful to others? Why spend your money on that? It is free. This is grace. Everyone who thirsts See the necessity of seeing your need. You say, I'm good. I don't need this. It's not free for you. You say, I'll, I'll pay my part. I'll, I'll, I'll do my end. You will, you will be granted nothing. You will be emaciated spiritually. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come and buy. You don't have any money, come here. It will be provided. You must see your need of it. You must thirst. You must desire. It is there for you, dear friends. Why would you pay for that which is not beneficial? For that which is not, is not good? He then says this, Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Dear friends, there is, there is an aspect there that, that our tastes need to change. Can you imagine if, if you had fed your child nothing but fast food, nothing but, let's say, McDonald's each and every meal, and then you began to bring before that child something that was very nutritious, something that was very beneficial, something that was good for them? Desired not. You say, what is this? The desire is for that which is unhealthy. It's a way in which our, our tastes need to change. Now, the first time I went into a Reformed Baptist church, I really struggled with the service. I told them, I said, you know what? I, he's saying a lot of good things in the sermon, but, uh, you know, that we could just have more going on here. I'd come from a background where there was very much, there was a competition to excite you, to, 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 to entertain you. It was a very poor version of it. We do a very poor version of that in this country. I know some have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and they've got a lot going on and so maybe they're coming close, but many times it just ends up being a very poor version of something that you'd find in, in Hollywood. You know, in attending service, 
in a Reformed Baptist church is something that I continued to do even though I didn't desire it, but in my mind, I could see this is right. This is how we should be worshiping God. And it was me that had to change. My, my taste had to change because I was accustomed to something else. So he says, listen diligent to me, eat what is good, delight yourselves in rich food. That we would, we would delight ourselves in what the Lord grants to us. That we would see Christ Jesus as when he declares himself to be the, the, the bread of life. Whoever comes to him will not hunger. Whoever believes in him will never thirst. There is that great point at the Feast of Tabernacles. We saw this in John 7 when we were preaching through there. And it's this high point of the Feast of Tabernacles where there's this great ceremony and they will, they're, they're dumping out a, a large amount of water and it's a reminder of the water that was given to Israel in the desert and it's pointing forward to the Spirit of God that is given to the people of God. And it's at that high point, the last day of that festival, when they're pouring this water out and Jesus declares... If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is declaring at that point that he is what you should be thirsting after. He is what you should be desiring. Isaiah 25 and 6 gives us this reminder the mountain of the Lord. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. There is a blessing that exists, dear friends, in the hunger that is there, in rightly seeing ourselves, only in seeing our deficiency. Only in seeing our deficiency can we then gain what is most necessary in Christ Jesus. And there's a divide. There's a divide that is there of those that hunger and those that say they're full, those that are wealthy in the things of this world and those that are poor in the things of this world. We see this in Isaiah 65 and 13. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. There are two categories that any person can be in, and you are in one of those two categories. You are either alive in Christ Jesus, or you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are either a child of God, or you're a child of the devil. There is no middle place. And it is crucial, dear friends, that you see your need of the Lord. It is crucial, dear friends, that you see the reality and the seriousness of your sin. That you would trust not in your own works, trust not in man's religion, but you would trust in Christ's works alone. Trust in Christ who is sufficient recognize that all that you gain in this world will be lost at your death but what you have gained in Christ will be there for eternity dear friends 
That is my desire for you, dear friends, that you would hunger after the things of the Lord. You would see your need of Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus there is a bounty, there is a feast, there is a blessing for all who will come to him. All who come to him, him he will in no way cast out, dear friends. Come to Christ.